This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. It is Saturday morning, and thank you for joining us. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we're delighted to have Virginia Walden Ford, one of America's leading advocates for parent empowerment, joining us. The future of America's education is at stake as we review dismal reports and international surveys showing that America's youth are lagging behind in the global competition. Indeed, America can and must do better. Virginia Walden Ford is a pioneer in America's school choice movement, and this past week, we all joined her in celebrating National School Choice Week from January 23rd through January 29th, 2022. Virginia Walden Ford has spent her lifetime fighting to create new educational opportunities for children and families. And if you have missed seeing Miss Virginia, it is the movie version of her life and can be viewed by going to Netflix and other streaming services. A native of Little Rock, Arkansas, and the daughter of two public school educators, Virginia and her twin sister, Harrietta, were among the first 130 students chosen to desegregate Little Rock. Rock's high schools in the mid-1960s. While she was raising her three children in Washington, D.C., Virginia was shocked that so many children were forced to attend failing, crumbling schools simply because they lived in the wrong zip codes. In fact, she worried that her own son, William, was falling through the cracks of a system that wasn't focused on the best interests of children. She is a true pioneer and a great patriot, and in 1998, she took action forming a grassroots organization, D.C. Parents for School Choice. And along with a group of dedicated parents, Virginia went door-to-door, neighborhood-to-neighborhood, recruiting and training thousands of other parents to stand up for their children's futures. After winning several awards for her advocacy efforts, Virginia shared her advice and experiences in her book, Voices, Choices, and Second Chances. Her second book, School Choice, A Legacy to Keep, was published in 2019 and is available on Amazon. Virginia is the subject of the 2019 film Miss Virginia, and you can view that on Netflix and other streaming services. And without any further delay, we welcome to America's Roundtable, Virginia Walden Ford. A very good morning to you. Welcome, Virginia. Good morning, Joel and Natasha. It's so good to see you all. I haven't seen you in a while, so thank you for having me today. 
Thank you so much for joining us, Virginia. According to a report published by the National School Choice Week, half of U.S. parents, some 52%, considered finding a new or different school for at least one of their children within the past year or are currently considering finding a new or different school for at least one of their children. And 18% chose a new school and 36% of parents indicated that they wanted a higher quality of education for their child as a primary reason for considering a school. And there's other data available on National School Choice Week's website. And indeed, we have come a long way from the early battles that you were fighting for in advancing the notion of school choice in America. Virginia, what were the factors that contributed to you leading this extraordinary movement beginning in the capital city of our nation, Washington, D.C.? My motivation was my child. You know, I watched him get in trouble. I watched him not go to school. He was almost dismissed by the school system. I remember so many times saying, you know, you all have to help me at the school. And it just didn't seem to that many people really cared about what happened to him. But And I knew I had to do something for this child. I mean, I knew he was smart even if others sometimes didn't see it. And I knew that the only way that he was going to get a better education was if I got involved. So to be perfectly honest, I started for my own child. But in doing that, I began talking to other parents in my community, in my neighborhood, and they were feeling the same hopelessness, helplessness, uh, didn't know what to do. And it just made sense that we brought our voices together to tell people we're not going to sit back and watch our children fail. And of course, during those days, which it's been almost 20 years now, you know, they dismissed us. They said, ah, you know, you're just a bunch of low-income mothers who are running your mouths and you'll never get anywhere. And, you know, people that know me know, oh, tell me I can't do something because that's when I'm going to really fight you. And, Absolutely. Uh, and that's how I felt. I felt, oh, no, no, no. They can't just tell us that our kids don't matter. We have to do something to make sure that they hear our voices and hear our stories. We're going to make them care about our children. And uh, we did. I mean, it, it was an amazing effort. Um, I didn't expect it. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect it to take off like that. But People care about what happens to kids. They just need a vehicle to be able to share that with somebody. My motto or mantra or whatever has always been use your voice. You know, your voice is what will make a difference in changes in your neighborhood and your community. And, that, and that's what we did. I was in it before I knew it. I was telling somebody just recently, you know, if somebody had told me 20 years ago that I would be in the place that I'm in now, and that's sharing my story and talking to people and encouraging people and inspiring people, I would have said, I don't think so. I, I don't think I'll be doing that. And just look at how far God has brought me. You know, my mother always told me, when you're really troubled, when you're really concerned, slow down, take a break, and listen to what God has to tell you. And I did. And that's what really made me 
really get involved in this fight. And the study by Pew Research Center analyzed the results of eight great students in math and reading from 2003 to 2017 and found that one-third of the low-income eighth graders scored below basic in reading. And more than one-half of low-income eighth-grade students in nine states scored below basic. And according to OECD, which is Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which administered the student assessment test to 15-year-old students around the world, America's students placed 11th in science and 30th in math out of 79 countries. The U.S. ranks at the bottom in students' math skills in 30 industrialized countries. And then when we look at the significance of it, in a published report, an economist from the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, Erich Hanushek, estimated that the U.S. economy would grow 4.5% annually in the next 20 years if our students' math and science skills were as strong as the rest of the world. Yes. So the main purpose of education is for children to gain knowledge, to develop critical thinking, and for them to become productive citizens of our nation. That's right. And instead of focusing on quality of teachers, teaching methods, and curricula in order to enable children to excel in reading, math, and civic education, American public classroom is getting politicized and children indoctrinated. The most recent example is the critical race theory and the Project 1619. Virginia, could you kindly share with us your thoughts about these developments? I've been saying during the pandemic, parents, fight. Get in there and make sure that your children have access to whatever you need. But listen to your voice. Listen to the right people. You know what your kids need. I have been encouraged, even though the statistics are dismal, I'm encouraged. 13 states passed school choice legislations during the legislative session in 21, and I believe that more will pass as time goes on. 31 governors have declared the week, the 23rd to 29th National School Choice Week. I think those things are significant and it has, you know, become political, but that's what I say is why I say to parents, use your voice. Don't get pulled into what you hear or what other people are telling you that makes you angry. I am a calm, caring person. At least that's the way I like to think of myself. I learned over the years that the angrier you get, the less people hear you. So go in and tell your stories, talk about your children. And I think that seeing more and more people that are that are really hearing what parents want. This has been a horrible last couple of years. It's been really challenging for children and parents. But I think parents have been amazing. I think they've stepped up, they've formed organizations, they've formed groups. And I don't think those are going to go away. So all of these negative statistics are going to really make a difference in how we move forward. But I'm encouraged. I refuse to uh, give up on the children. I, I remember 20 years ago saying to a group of parents, I'm going to be here until you don't need me anymore. Well, clearly, I believe I'm still needed. But for no other reason, just to inspire and encourage parents and say to them, if our little ragtag group of parents in the 90s could pull together and really make a difference in how 
people looked at parents and their involvement in their children's education, then you certainly can. And I think it's encouraging that all this legislation passed uh, last year and that, that there are others that are being worked on. I'm in Arkansas currently. I'm from here. I grew up here. I came back here a few years ago, still involved in D.C., but I live in Arkansas. And our governor declared last week National School Choice Week. We actually had a scholarship program legislation passed last year. We've been trying to get legislation passed in Arkansas as long as I've been back, and I've been back for a number of years. So I think that is so exciting and so telling. So even though we all get bombarded with how bad things are here, if you look at those little bitty moments, those little gaps and the negative stuff, there are some positive things. On the kickoff for National School Choice Week um, on the 24th, they use students to talk about their experiences. Um, Andrew Campanella, who is amazing in his team and what they do to celebrate education. This year they use uh, a young woman to moderate it and to go from child to child to just really uh, fun to watch, you know, parents excited, parents being hopeful. The hope is, is my biggest word. We have to continue to hope. So I'm not worried as much about the future because I've seen some things in the last uh, week or so. If people watch and they're all uh, taped on uh, YouTube so you can go back and watch them. And it uplifted me. It just made me feel better. So I think we're in a good place. I believe that we have learned over the last two years during this pandemic that if we work together to a certain extent, we can accomplish a whole lot of different things. I mean, I testified virtually for school choice legislation in several states, and it passed. And not because of me, but because parents, you know, I speak on their behalf, and parents have said to me, this is what we need in our state. This is what we want in our state. I'm encouraged. You know, I have learned over the years that the more joy you put into fighting for kids, the better off we'll be able to accomplish things. And so, you know, today I run a, a program at my church, a feeding program and a book giveaway. And uh, because of COVID and what's been going on the last couple of weeks, this is our first day back. And I'm so excited to see the kids. And we've been running into them on the street because our church is in our community. And they were like, when are y'all coming back? Not so much for the snacks, for the books. Kids want this. We, we have books donated to us, four or 500 books donated to our church. And we give them to the children. And it's the first library many of them ever had. So many, when we first started, they would come back and go, we got to bring this back. And I would know. It's yours. You write your name in it. That is your book. So I'm feeling a lot more positive these days. And Choice, the organization founded by Milton and Rose Friedman, they state that school choice allows public education funds to follow students to the schools or services that best fit their needs, whether that's to a public school, private school, charter school, homeschool, or any other learning environment families choose. That's right. And your positive message of empowering parents to make great decisions for their children 
children is so important and the importance of reading as you and I, Natasha, have shared the importance of reading books as our mutual friend Dr. Ben Carson shared with us recently on America's Roundtable as a neurosurgeon, as a former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. He always shares about his story about how his mother encouraged him and his brother, (laughs) another brilliant scientist, um, to read. And they were reading these books every week. And the power of reading and capturing knowledge and information, rather than spending hours in front of a a, a television screen playing video games, uh, we certainly have that opportunity to inspire a young generation to read, to seek wisdom. Interestingly, just brought up Ben because we had his book at our book giveaway. And the little boy that took his book after a week or so, he came back to me and he said, uh, Mr. Dean, you got another book like this? Because this is about a real person. And I said, yeah, and I know him, you know, and he is a wonderful person. And he was like, no, you don't. I said, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I said, so keep reading those kind of books. So we we decided we're going to pull out all the books about people that have really ma- made a difference in the world, such as Ben and, and his brother and uh, Ed Choice has always been there for me. Dr. Freeman, actually, I'd like to call him my my mentor. He was first one that said to me, Virginia, you can use your voice. You can do this. And he became such an important part of my life. And he left Robert Inlow to kind of take care of me. And so it's been listening to those voices. And those are the ones I share with parents all over, listening to those voices have really made a difference in my my even moving forward, you know. And I appreciate those voices. So, so that's funny you brought up because that just happened a couple of weeks ago. And that little boy said that that man is a doctor, and he was so impressed. It's amazing that you mentioned about Dr. Mm-hmm. Milton Friedman and Rose Friedman. In fact. They were very instrumental in the launch of the International Leaders Summit and the work that we're doing today with America's Roundtable. It was at their residence in San Francisco where... When Natasha was able to organize this gathering at uh, at their residence, we were just delighted by their inspiring words. Uh, they certainly challenged you in the right way, and uh, they did not back away. They wanted to make sure that they gave their full support because they believed in freedom, they believed in choice, yep. and uh, to have children and parents be able to make the choices needed for their future was so important to them. That is so cool. I did not know that. <laughs> right. And Ed Choice, actually, that was founded by Milton and Rose Friedman in their survey in December 2021, they published that 68% of respondents reported that they are more favorable to homeschooling than they were before the pandemic. There are 70% of those that supported mm-hmm. educational savings accounts which allow parents to withdraw their children from public schools and receive a deposit of public funds to pay for education expenses. Then there are school vouchers. 65% of those were more right. favor in favor of school vouchers by which public education funds follow students to the schools of their choice. And 68% higher acceptance and rising support was for publicly funded but privately run charter schools. So there is a reason to be optimistic. And I think that it was a COVID time that upended the way we think about education and about schools. 
I absolutely, I mean, at the beginning of COVID, I, I was worried. I said, how is this going to affect the children? And then parents started finding me on all kind of social media. <laughs> you know, they would just find me and say, all right, Miss J, we are in this place. What do we do? I've had a wonderful time speaking with parents more, a lot more than I probably would have who wanted advice and counsel and just wanted to chat about their children. And uh, I think parents have learned so much. My oldest son has three kids. And when COVID first started, he was teaching them at home and I was helping them out. And at the end of maybe a couple of weeks, I remember him saying to me, mama, I did not realize how much is involved with making sure the three different ages, the kids learn. I'm learning so much from working with the children at home. And I thought that's really good because I know my son and his wife are very busy and going a hundred miles an hour. And like many young people nowadays or before COVID, especially we give our children to a school and we say, teach them, <laughs> you know, we love them. We're listening to them. We're watching their report cards. We're going to parent-teachers meeting, but we don't want to really teach them. So COVID has caused a lot of people to rethink that and now understand is something I've been saying for 20 years. It has to be a partnership between parents and schools and teachers. Everybody has to have some involvement in making sure that children learn. And I think young parent America is learning that now. And I love it. I, I mean, I love what I'm seeing these young parents doing and contributing to making choices about their children's education. And I, so now I even more think we have a responsibility to give them the options they can use. We need to be able to say to young parents moving forward, here are options. You know your child. You know what their learning needs are. We're going to make sure that you have um, options that you can choose from for those children. My three kids, nobody ever knows about my other two because um, we talk so much about my youngest, but I do have two other kids and each of them had different learning styles each of them. And even as a young, poor, struggling mother, I recognized that. And I worked really hard even long before I was fighting for William, for Maisha and Michael to be in educational environments that work for them. My oldest son is a brilliant mathematician scientist. And yet in Washington, D.C. in the late 80s, when he went to high school, there was a program for kids for science and math. And I heard about it and I wanted to get him into it. And I did. I mean, he had the grades. He's really bright. But the teacher said to me the first day I brought him in, oh, it, don't worry if he can't participate in everything because I understand you don't have any money. He didn't even know me, you know. And so at that point, I'm like, oh, no, he will participate in everything. And as I continued to work with them, I found out that this program had been in existence 10 years and there had never been an African-American child in it. Now, this is in Washington, D.C., where it's a large population of African-Americans. And a program that was state or Washington, D.C. financed had never had a black kid in it. That was just crazy to me. So that was a program. 
And, and I wasn't being mean to the teachers and the kids. That's just the way the world was. So now we have to make sure that minority kids get those same kinds of opportunities. I want every child to be served, Black, white. But I want us to make sure that every child is served. And so by providing additional options, and I love education savings account, that just gives parents all kind of freedom to put their children in educational environments that work for them. Those kind of things, I think we have a responsibility moving forward to make sure we have. And, and I'm, I'm psyched. I'm excited. And, and Virginia, we know that there's been pushback from certain state legislators or leaders uh, elect in elected offices, uh, also the teachers union or teachers in public schools uh, that are somewhat hesitant about this competition that we're experiencing in the educational landscape, which is transforming education. And as you've rightfully mentioned, great things are happening. Yes. Kids are being empowered. Parents are being empowered. Yes. And what is your message to state legislators and all also teachers in the public school structures that may be hesitant or reluctant but don't understand the realities of what's happening. What is your positive message to them? You just mentioned teachers unions and state legislators who are my biggest opposition. And and so I've been talking to them many, many years and debating with them many, many years. Teachers, on the other hand, are concerned about kids, but they're also concerned about their jobs. So what I say to teachers is hold on and allow the parents that are involved with your students to be a part of what you do. What I say to teachers unions and legislators who oppose us is back off because now we have an empowered parent force. 20 years ago, we built an army. People people don't even know how that army was what made a difference to what happened in DC. I appreciated being a leader but it wasn't just me. It was this army of incredibly empowered and excited and parents who said for the first time in our lives, we have uh, the right to speak up on behalf of our children. It was an amazing effort. When I think back about it, I still get excited. And, And for a number of years, I worried. But now, these guys are way better than us. They are excited and empowered and burning up the internet and having meetings. And I've, I've been privileged and honored to speak at a number of meetings over the last two years of since the pandemic. And, and it's so exciting for me to hear their voices and to see what they're able to do. So what I say to the opposition is don't rule us out. They tried 20 years ago. They're trying now because parents will make a difference in what happens in this country. And they are. Virginia, you inspire us in all that you're doing. And we want to encourage our listeners to go and visit the website and check out the movie Miss Virginia. It is on Netflix and other streaming services. Virginia Walden Ford is the subject of the 2019 film Miss Virginia. And you can certainly view that on Netflix and other streaming services and get a better understanding of what Virginia has done through her journey in challenging the establishment in Washington, D.C. and working with an army of volunteers and like-minded parents that were concerned about their children and actually birthing a movement, the school choice movement that is sweeping across America. We just want to make sure that parents are not 
hesitant about it, but embrace this idea about how they can make a difference in their local communities. Right, and one of the most recent, actually, developments in, uh, as we talked about, uh, your opposition and those that are proponents of uh, school choice, a good example is uh, Iowa. Actually, in her vision for Iowa, condition of the state address, Governor Kim Reynolds stated earlier this month, and I quote, wealthier parents always have an alternative but many middle and lower income families don't. Which is why I'll be introducing legislation that allows middle and low income families and students with an individualized educational plan to receive a portion of their per pupil funds allocated annually by the state to move their child to the education system of their choice. Virginia, can we anticipate other states to follow the example of Iowa? And what are your insights about it? Well, <laughs> I um I I think other states will follow Iowa. Education savings accounts are, are amazing, and I think that even the opposition can um sometime you know deal with that when they can't deal with other the uh, programs like vouchers or whatever, and that's okay as long as we have some kind of way for parents to uh, to have access to alternatives or to options or and so I, I'm I'm excited about it. I think other states will come on Arkansas just passed a, a scholarship program that is like almost unheard of we've been fighting I've been back a while and I've been we've been fighting a while it's small but it's a step up and I think that'll happen in other states I think that legislators are beginning to hear from their parents saying y'all not doing nothing. This is what you need to do. And I think parents are listening. And I think that Ed Choice and the movie and the book, and I'm not trying to push my book, but I think those are the, the things that parents are having in their hands. When we started, we had not, we didn't know what to do. We knew that we had children that were failing in school. And we knew that our voices needed to be heard somewhere. We didn't know how, we didn't know what, and they work. Parents nowadays do have some people to go to. They have us that I've told parents forever. I will always be there for kids, always, and for them, for parents. So I think there's just a lot more information, a lot more knowledge, a lot more empowerment, if you will, that has been accomplished over the last few weeks and last few years. And I think that um, it'll continue. I'm real excited about the future. And and I will continue to be until I see something different. And the opposition, they've been there. They're going to always be there. But we have to stand up with courage and honor and dignity and say, you all can think whatever you want. This is what I believe. And I believe it for my child, period. It's, it's about speaking up. Your words are so inspiring and really they are exciting parents to be more involved in their children's education. Yep. <laughs> this weekend on America's Roundtable, we are joined by Virginia Walden Ford, a pioneer in America's school choice movement. And Virginia has spent her lifetime fighting to create new educational opportunities for children and families. Virginia shares her advice and experiences in her book, Voices, Choices, and Second Chances. Her second book, School Choice, A Legacy to Keep, was published in 2019 and is available on Amazon. And if you have missed seeing Miss Virginia... Nat- 
Natasha Sardoch and I on America's Roundtable, we encourage you to view the movie version of her life. And it can be viewed on Netflix and other streaming services. The movie is titled Miss Virginia. And for other resources, please visit Ed Choice, uh, the school choice movement endeavor that Milton and Rose Friedman spearheaded years ago. Virginia Walden Ford, we thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on America's Roundtable. We thank you for your continued efforts indeed. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. I appreciate always love coming on your shows. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lanza Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Laden Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.